0: The uh, BBC recently created a series of short films which they entitled Amazing Humans, which celebrate individuals who have done or are doing extraordinary things. And if you're interested, you can access them if you just type in BBC Amazing Humans, you'll find them on the website, their website. And some of these films tell stories of people who have overcome huge obstacles in their lives, but by far the majority of the films celebrate people who have gone out of their way to help others? Here's one of my favourites.
1: We've been out on the streets too long. I got evicted from my temporary accommodation. Winter's a hard time of the year. Yeah.
0: Last time I bought something decent to wear it was a long time ago. I'm trying to afford like decent clothing.
1: I saw a post on Facebook of something similar happening in Yorkshire, it had a coat rail and a sign that said, need one, take one, want to help, leave one, and I thought, oh, that's a brilliant idea, why can't we do this locally, that was on a Thursday night I think and then by the Friday I'd used a clothes layer that I had at home uh, and I managed to gather together about 12 coats from just friends and family. Very helpful, very very helpful.
0: I am not half as cold as what I would have been, that's for sure. Thank you very much. It's cold enough for me in a jacket, walking a I'm gonna get a go, go in my car, go home and that out all night. Oh you know what I mean? God.
1: So I'm a true believer in human spirit and I think people are generous, have given people permission to be kind. There's no rules about that, there's no judgment, it's about wanting to do something good.
0: I think it's fascinating that the BBC have chosen to make these films. They know that we love to hear stories that celebrate people doing great things. Perhaps we find these stories inspiring because we all want to be amazing humans in one way or another. We all want to find purpose, to find meaning for our lives. If I were to ask you what specifically struck you about the story, was it, you know, what was it about Faye? Some of you might praise her ingenuity or perhaps her resourcefulness. But I would imagine that most of us would be excited about her compassion. One thing I know about you as a church is that you are a people who are passionate about compassion, a people who act with compassion, with kindness, with generosity. Today is the third in this little series I'm doing on our hallmarks, looking at the kind of church that we believe God has called us to build. The first talk in the series, we looked at being an outward-looking church, and then two weeks ago, being servant-hearted, and this evening I want to focus on this hallmark, compassionate, being a compassionate church. Most of you will be aware of the building behind me, the Arches, it's a building bigger than this room, which is devoted to the care of those in need, and I recently heard about a woman who came along to the Arches after experiencing decades of domestic abuse. With support from Women's Aid, she had fled her home suddenly with only those essentials that she managed to grab and carry with her as she went, and so she needed some clothes, and the project worker invited her to have a browse through the carefully sorted racks of clothing we have in there and uh, select whatever she wanted. And to the project worker's surprise, this woman just burst into tears. And it turned out that the level of control that she had been under was so great that she had not been able to choose her own clothes for nearly 20 years. Being offered a choice made her realize that she was free from her previous situation and it gave her back some sense of dignity. Debbie and I love hearing stories like that. Stories of compassion, these encounters are moments where we feel that the church is doing exactly what it was built for. I grew up in a middle-class family in a detached house in a village in what was known as Commuter Belt, just outside of London, a place not many people could afford to live, including us as far as I was aware. I thought I was poor my whole life because I had less pocket money than anybody around me. but. As a result of growing up in a place like that, I had very, very little contact with anyone who you could possibly describe as poor until I was 26. And then I was a jeweler for a number of years, and then there came a moment when I packed that up into a box, and an opportunity arose to work with homeless young people here in Nottingham. And so I went to work for a place called um, Masson, Trust, which is now called Framework. It began as a Christian organization. And it was caring for people, mainly 16 to 25-year-olds. And um, many were young offenders, uh, you know, people who found themselves homeless. And they had a couple of dozen houses, about 100 residents. And my job was to coordinate the maintenance of these houses, working with the residents as my workforce. So painting and changing tap washers and even fitting central heating, that sort of thing. And I spent every day for six months, every working day, working with them, driving around with them, taking one of my team to hospital when another of my helpers hit them over the head with a bottle. And so they had a gash about four inches long, which... Eventually, anyway, it's a long story. Uh, There are many of those long stories. Or um, the time when one of my helpers broke his hand, hitting another of my helpers, and so I had to take him to hospital. So there wasn't much around in the way of health and safety, uh, you know, risk assessments back then. It's over 30 years ago. And it had its scary moments. You know, I, along with other staff, occasionally experienced being threatened by someone with a weapon or risking getting hurt by physically intervening in the middle of a fight. And there were also other reasons uh, that working there was hard. Tom was there at the same time, Uh, Tom Murphy. Tom and Helen were living in. But I needn't go into those. uh, this point. But over those six months that I worked there, I developed some quite close relationships with some of these residents. And I heard their stories about growing up in care homes, or in family situations which were abusive, which were very violent, some of them. And I understood some of the factors which result in people becoming involved in crime or in homelessness at a young age. One of the reasons I stayed working there was that I realized how privileged I was. It was a culture shock for me in that situation. And I was deeply moved by every story that I heard. I heard this week that the word compassion is made up of two words, the prefix com, which means with, and passio, which means to suffer. And so compassion essentially means to suffer with. It means that you feel so deeply about something or someone that it costs you something, it hurts, and you're willing to suffer with them. And in some small way, over the time I worked there, I I counted it a privilege to share just a tiny bit in the sufferings that these residents experienced. I also learned a lot that I had never really taken the time to think about before. In in particular, it struck me that uh, though I was working for a Christian charity and most of the staff were Christians, almost none of the staff went to church. Why? Because most of them had a huge chip on their shoulder about the church not doing what it should be doing. Indeed, they were doing what the church should be doing, and they were working 16, 18, sometimes 20 hours a day pouring their lives out to support these young people, apparently without very much support from the church. And um, I picked up one thing in that time, and that was, yes, the church should be, should be engaged, should be doing something, That year, we were exploring our call to potential leadership in the church, and Debbie and I said to each other, if we ever get to lead a church, we want it to be a church which cares for the poor. We want people in poverty to feel welcome, to be a part of it, and for most people in the church to have an opportunity to minister to those in need. The following year we had the opportunity to spend about eight months at the Vineyard in Anaheim near Los Angeles with John Wimber who founded the Vineyard Movement and led it. And uh, we had experienced something of the Vineyard for the previous four years before that through meetings, through various conferences that we were able to get to. Uh, that John Wimber had done here in England. And there was just so much, we loved the vineyard. We just thought, this is our kind of Christianity. This is how we would love to express our faith. We loved the worship. We loved the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. We loved people getting healed. We loved the relaxed dress code, the relevant teaching. But just shortly before we left to go to America, I remember saying to Debbie, and really this exposed my ignorance as well as my arrogance, I said to uh, I love everything about the vineyard. The only thing I have against them is they don't care for the poor. I just made assumptions. I thought, you know, everyone i would met from Southern California had long nails and diamond rings and I had no idea there were any poor people in California. I was that ignorant. But uh, how wrong I was. We walked into that place, this building. It was clear that caring for those in need was a huge priority of that church. They met in a warehouse, much larger than this one, and uh, they had dedicated space filled with clothing and food and other provisions for people who would just turn up in desperate need, and we just felt, we've come home. This is like the perfect church, if there ever was such a thing, and if you ever find one, don't join it or you'll ruin it, because you're not perfect yourself. But in terms of the way they lived out their faith, we thought, this is the kind of church we would like to be a part of. Part of the time, you know, we were there for about eight months, much of the time I was what was called pastor on call, which is basically the pastor who gets called into everything no one else wants to do because it's really difficult. And that was really my training, and what part of that was to wear a headset every day like I'm wearing now with an earphone and to pick up all the crises that happened. So you'd find a family drive into the car park with their car running out of petrol, only to find there were five of them living in the car. They had no home and they had no money and they had no food and suddenly it was my job to sort that out. And you know, there was really quite an intense time over those months when I learned a lot about having a broken heart. I remember there were some rules about what you could and couldn't do, and uh, the associate pastor found me crying in the men's toilets, just weeping, because could not contain myself. And he said, what's up? And I said, this family who are being evicted, the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter, and the dog, who I got adopted, um, they're gonna be on the street this week. And, I, and the rules are I can't drive out and see them because we can only do so much. He said, well, we'll break the rules then because he realized it was breaking my heart. But anyway, it was very, very formative and this isn't in my notes and therefore probably I'll run over time. So I'll have to rush now through some other less important bits. But it, uh, we used to go and feed the poor in the park. On a Sunday, we went to Mexico with the high school to care for children in an orphanage. and. All this sort of thing this was a church where hundreds or probably thousands of people were actually involved in caring for those in need sharing God's compassion for those in need caring for the sick the hungry those without a voice and those whose society has forgotten about is part of the story of this movement of churches of which we're a part. It's certainly a part of Trent's story. And I believe it's something we must guard and cherish and practice because it's very, very important to God. There are over 2,500 references to caring for those in need in the Bible. And if, like Tony Compolo once did, you were to take a pair of scissors and cut out every text which refers to caring for the poor, the Bible really would be full of holes. The American Bible Society have published this, uh, what they call the Poverty and Justice Bible, and it highlights, and if you can see from where you are on camera, it highlights every text in orange here which refers to justice and care. Oh, sorry, my face is in the way. <laughs> and care for the poor. You see where it goes through New Testament? Okay, let's go to the Old Testament. Basically if you took all those texts out, you would not much have, have much of a Bible left. Throughout the Scriptures we see God establishing laws which ensured that the poor were looked after, affirming those who cared for those in need, correcting those who were overfed and didn't care about the poor, were unconcerned, And also we see again and again him intervening on behalf of those who were oppressed. And we find God's revelation of his compassionate nature in the way that Jesus came and spent his time here on Earth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Jesus' whole mission when he came to Earth was for our sakes. It was an act of compassion. And Jesus identified with those who were impoverished. He was born into poverty, he became a refugee, lived a very humble life, he lived without a regular income, and spent most of his time not amongst the rich and righteous of Jerusalem, but amongst the poor, amongst the sick, amongst those that society rejected in this economic backwater of Galilee. And this is the life that God chose for himself in the person of his son, out of compassion for humanity, culminating in the passion of the Christ, that word passio, compassion, passio, the passion of the Christ where he suffered for us at the cross out of compassion for a lost world. And then his job description, when we built the original warehouse that we're in here, it used to finish there and it was that bit, Fifteen years ago, we laid in the foundation a Bible, a leather-bound Bible. It was sealed open at a certain page, and it is just sitting under just to the left of the doors there in this room now. Yes, fashions were different evidently in those days too, as you can see from the picture. Um, The Bible was sealed open at this passage, Luke chapter 4, 16 to 19. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And then in that text, Jesus said, basically, this is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the fulfillment of this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord was on him to do that. And it really captures Jesus' job description for the three years of his ministry. And it captures the job description of us, his followers. As you read the Gospels, if you pay specific attention to the compassion of Jesus, it's really quite hard not to be challenged by it, the way he lived out and fulfilled this. And stirred by his encouragement that we are actually anointed to do the same, to seek out those who are poor and to demonstrate the good news of Jesus' love for them. To bring freedom to those who are imprisoned in various ways, not least emotionally and spiritually. To bring freedom to those who are oppressed. And this is not just theory, it's our role, this is part of our purpose as a church. Something that strikes me about Jesus was that compassion was something that arrested him. When he saw a need, he was willing to be interrupted and make a person's needs his priority in that moment. You may remember the story of the woman who had suffered severe bleeding for many, many years, and Jesus was traveling from one engagement to the next, and a large crowd of people around him gathered, you know, wanting his attention. And yet, despite his surroundings, despite his schedule, Jesus stopped and cared for this woman. He actually stopped and healed her. As I mentioned last time, when he withdrew with his disciples following the news of his cousin's murder by King Herod, and they got into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd ran around the top of that shore and were waiting for him when he arrived, we see him going to work. Instead of saying, guys, I need a break, I'm, bur- I'm grieving and I'm tired, he just rolled his sleeves up and served them, including feeding over 5,000 people. Why? Well, because he was the ultimate servant. But was there something else which drove him to get to work? The answer is absolutely yes. And if we read the Gospel writers, this is what they say. He had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing because he was driven by compassion. And Jesus' example, I don't know whether you find it challenging, it leads me to ask myself some questions that you might like to consider asking yourself. When was the last time compassion interrupted my day such that I had to stop? and help a person or pray for a person or to meet a need? When was the last time I gave up my wealth and my comfort for the sake of the poor? When was the last time I withdrew from peers and those I respect to be among the marginalized and spend myself on their behalf? This room is full of people who actually care for others and do so day in and day out. Doctors and nurses, social workers, care assistants, police officers, housing officers, teachers, and many of others, all working with some of the most vulnerable people in our society, spending themselves on their behalf. Some of you work for and even set up charities supporting those who find themselves in addiction or in uh, being trafficked or seeking asylum. Some of you work with local and national government to make laws that care for those in need. And some of you are businessmen and women who uh, give those who are out of work opportunities, training opportunities, and a second chance. Many of you are working in one area or other in your life, whether in your working life or indeed in the life of the church here, you feel like you're working on the front line and you feel worn down. You know, compassion leaks. Suffering with others costs you something. It can be tough. And I believe the Lord tonight would just want to affirm you in what you're doing and refresh you in the compassion that ultimately Comes from him. Being a, a compassionate church is about how we do everything we do. Doing compassionate things, yes, but acting with compassion in our daily lives, in, in, for instance, how we treat other people. I heard of one church member who recently started working for an organization answering the phone, assisting people claims, claiming housing benefits. And having worked in customer service answering phones before, He was really surprised and shocked by the way his colleagues spoke to people, treating them in a way that really wasn't good. And he made a point himself of treating people well, and most days he would come home with a story of how a caller had said something along the lines to him of, I'm so grateful I got to talk to you. You're so different. Thank you so much. You are being a compassionate church daily. And we celebrate you, we pray that you come here on a Sunday, you go to your small group, you're you're refreshed, you're encouraged and equipped for what God has for you to do. Despite being relatively wealthy as a nation, we are surrounded by needs. It may surprise you to know that the Office for National Statistics reckons that Nottingham City is one of the most deprived areas in the country. It ranks eight apparently out of 326 possible districts, the eighth most deprived. There are places all over our city. More need than we can possibly ever reach and meet. And uh, we may feel like, you know, what could we do? We can't really make a dent in this enormity of need. It just feels like a drop in the ocean. But if we ever feel that way, it's worth remembering what Mother Teresa said when she was asking, what are the Sisters of Mercy really doing, you know? just a drop in the ocean, she said, well, what we do may seem like a drop in the ocean, but the ocean is made up of drops. And every small act of kindness we do for someone in need makes a difference, maybe a small difference. Often it may be in ways way beyond actually what we expect. Let's watch another amazing humans film, which is I think a great example of compassionate kindness.
1: My name is Fraser, I'm 20 years old and I take elderly residents out from a care home for cycle rides. So at the moment we're running about four to five rides a week. That's really been down to the huge response we've had from volunteers. It's such a feel-good project that people can give their time to. When I started going out, I thought it was madness. Miraculous to, to just go on a bike.
0: Ready? Yes. 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 All awesome. <laughs>
1: set. Such a change to get out of the four walls. I really enjoy it. The f- fresh air and the wind in your hair. It's just amazing.
0: The are alive, are alive With,
1: with the sound the of music. music. <laughs>
0: My mum treats Fraser almost like uh, an extension to the family. The home was a nice environment and we, she gets taken out regularly, but it's always home to car, car to coffee shops. I think it's amazing uh, what Fraser is doing.
1: Residents like Mary, they've really started to see the transformative effect it's had on her general outlook on life. You know, she's. She likes that when they come into the care home. I find wee a bonnie wee lass, bonnie wee Jenny McCall. I gave her my mother's engagement ring in a bonnie wee tartan shawl. I have been looking forward to this day for a long time. It's like a Victorian carriage,
0: minus the horse, but then you don't need a horse if you've got a strong of legs behind you.
1: I'll let you see my new sun got in Oh, yeah. There we are. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Very fancy. Yeah.
0: I have noticed a difference in Mary. Her eyes are completely different. they back to what they were years mm-hmm. ago.
1: Everyone has some time in their lives so that they could give back to the older generation and offer them opportunities like this so they wouldn't get otherwise and really share their stories and celebrate how they've lived their life. I think projects like this can make society better.
0: What I love about both those films is that what Faye and Fraser are doing is really relatively simple. You know, just collecting and giving out some coats, giving people rides in a bicycle rickshaw. It doesn't require a church to organize a huge area of ministry with a large budget and many rotors and things like that. It's basically entrepreneurial creativity. And there'll be many of you here, maybe you would pray and ask the Lord, what what could I do that's entrepreneurially creative in this arena? You don't, it doesn't have to be. By all means, join one of the rotors. There's always space. But, What could you do? What are the opportunities you might have in your neighborhood or your place of work? Just as Jesus multiplied the food in the disciples' hands when he fed the 5,000, I believe that as we faithfully serve him, he can also turn seemingly small acts of compassion into incredible blessings. Ask anyone who serves at the arches, and they'll tell you about the, the countless times over the years that God has provided precisely what is needed at precisely the right time. Like the occasion when the shop floor team were moving a chest of drawers ready for someone who was coming in to collect it, uh, having chosen it from a photograph on the screen. And in moving it, it got dropped by accident and it got quite badly broken. And so the team prayed as they just didn't know what they were gonna say to this person when they came in. But then someone walked in the door just ahead of them to donate an identical chest of drawers. Just a few weeks ago, one of the team happened to put out an iron that had just been pat-tested, and the arches really very rarely get irons. And she was then coordinating the arches the following Saturday and happened to be in reception when she overheard one of the guests saying that they had only come in for one thing, an iron. And she quickly went and checked the guests' record and saw on the notes that the last time this woman had been in, she got everything that she had needed apart from an iron and a volunteer from the arches had prayed with her that time that the next time she came in, there would be an iron waiting for her. And because of what happened, the team member who was uh, serving her then was able to pray for her and celebrate with her the way that God, you know, so personally knows her and cares for her. In the Old Testament, we find God speaking to His people through the prophets, very often about issues of justice and so on, and one of them particularly, Isaiah. I just want to look at one verse as we come in towards closing, and where God exhorts us through the prophet Isaiah to do a number of things. This is Isaiah 58 and verse seven from the message translation. This is what God would say to his people and indeed says to us. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor, into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. In response to this and the needs that we see in Nottingham as a church, we've set up numerous areas of ministry through which we can express God's love and compassion to those in need. So I just want to finish this evening by just touching on a few of the things that we're doing that God might prompt some of you to get involved in. Verse seven, what I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. As individuals, that could mean buying a burger or a cup of coffee for someone who is living on the street. We have organized ways of feeding those who would otherwise go hungry every week. Members of Trent go on the streets of Nottingham on the soup run serving soup and tea and coffee and sandwiches and other essentials to people who are sleeping rough in the city center. Some of you will have been out, many of you will have been out with a small group to do that, but there's also a regular team and that's an area that some of you might like to try out. In November we'll be having a fill the van event as we do each year where we'll be inviting people to bring donations of nice things to eat uh, like Uh, biscuits, chocolate biscuits and so on, as well as nice toiletries, towels, other treats to give out to Arch's guests. And details will come up in the bulletin in due course. Verse seven, what I'm interested in seeing you do is inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Night Stop is an initiative that provides emergency overnight accommodation in the homes of host families for 16 to 25 year olds who are either homeless or at great risk of becoming homeless. And uh, Debbie and I, and our family, we were for many years a host family for Night Stop, and we've had young people in all manner of difficulties stay in our home, usually for one night, sometimes for more. And I remember some years ago, Debbie and I sat and watched a a BBC program called Famous, Rich, and Homeless, in which 10 um, celebrities spent 10 nights living rough. In fact, some of them quit. And watching this program with us was a young woman who had earlier that week been sleeping near the pitcher and piano in the lace market. And in the middle of the night, she had had to flee, leaving her sleeping bag, leaving her belongings when a group of drunk lads tried to grab her. And she was convinced that she would have been raped if she had not managed to escape. Watching the program that night with her was a slightly surreal experience, the stark reality of life for some people being lived out, played out on our television screen and on our sofa. And it brought home to us just how privileged and how comfortable we are compared to many others. We have a growing community of foster carers here at Trent, opening your homes to some of the most vulnerable children in our city. You'll see on the connect sheet this week that on Tuesday there's a refugee befriending vision and training evening. Uh, There are a lot of refugees in our city, we've been used to welcome them through the arches particularly, but befriending them, that's something you might think, I could probably go to that evening and, and just see what it might entail. While not all of us will be able to physically open our homes, our financial commitment to this church, and indeed, therefore, to the Arches, uh, you know, which over the last couple of winters has done this winter shelter. Uh, it, it We're part of the whole thing. That winter shelter we heard in the announcements just then provides an evening meal, bed, and breakfast for a whole load of people who would otherwise be sleeping rough through the winter. And uh, you can see the details in the bulletin there if you'd like to get involved. What I'm interested in seeing you do is putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad. Of the 3,000-plus people who visited the Arches last year, many of these people received clothing as part of the support that we provide to individuals and to families. And now, as it happens, having just checked this week, the Arches is pretty much inundated with clothes, so they don't need your clothes. But if you do have a wardrobe that's overfull and you wanted to sort that, obviously charity shops would be a route to go uh, for that. What I'm interested in seeing, oh, what they do want, though, I should mention is things like Pots and pans, kettles, toasters, if you've got any of those sorts of things, you might like to drop them off during their opening days, opening times. What I'm interested in seeing you do is being available to your own families. The Lord has entrusted our families to us as our first priority after him. And the Lord doesn't want us to be volunteering on the Arches team three days every week and doing the soup run and spending ourselves on those in need while ignoring those who are related to us who might also be in need of help. Being available to help and support our loved ones, our families, is part of our calling to be compassionate. It may look like calling or visiting an elderly relative, maybe your grandma you haven't spoken to for a year, picking up a phone and just having a chat or finding time for a niece or nephew. And this principle extends to those beyond our actual nuclear family, to those around us, to our friends, to our colleagues, to others in our small group. This church really is full of, I think, amazing humans. And I'm so pleased that many of you serve in areas uh, of what we call our compassion ministries as we celebrated last time i spoke uh, many of you are involved in other areas of church life whatever area of church life you're, you're um, serving in i don't want you to find yourself asking the question well because i'm doing this and this and not one of those compassion ministries you know am i is my ministry less important to the lord i think the answer is no to that if you're faithfully serving in some other area be affirmed in doing that because you do what you do others are blessed and in turn can be released to be a blessing to others. And of course, all of us who give financially, we're involved in every single outworking of compassion ministry in the life of the church. We spend a lot of money making Nextdoor happen each year, uh, as well as many other uh, areas of ministry in, in our city and indeed in other countries. We believe that God is passionate about those in need, caring for the sick, those without a voice, those who society has forgotten about, And as a church, we want to honor God by being a compassionate church. Go on being that. And I would really want to encourage you, uh, you know, those of you who are yet to think about how God might use you in reaching out to those in need, to think about that. A first step might be getting involved in one of our areas of ministry. And uh, I would encourage you to, after the service tonight, in your response, to go to the Connect area and say, show me where I could go and visit and maybe uh, sign up for an area of ministry. It may be the Lord is uh, stirring something more profound or he's stirring something, having seen those two films, you're just thinking, I could do that. I mean, not many of us have a cycling rickshaw, but you might have something else that the Lord is opening a door that you might use really creatively. Whatever it is, I believe the Lord would really want us all to catch his heart for those in need. Because we worship, an amazing God, and he invites all of us to be amazing humans by representing his incredible love and compassion in all that we do.